All right, good to see everybody. Why don't you turn around and give somebody a high five? We can do that now. Come on. <laughs> Freedom. <laughs> yeah, just to say that um, obviously, obviously you want to be wise about that, but um, I'm, I'm just glad that we're able to, to go back to some sense of normality. But obviously there's still a few folks that are isolating and, um, and are still kind of a bit jumpy, you know, so remember COVID's still here. So if you want to wear a mask, feel free to do that. Um, if you want to isolate or whatever, there's a hole upstairs up there. There's plenty of space for you to do that. We just want to be able to do that, but just be conscious of that. Um, we will be removing the hand sanitation stations and things like that. So please bring your own, okay? The reason for that is because it's made a mess of a really nice floor out there. And me and Ash would really like to have it nice and tidy again. So uh, we want to do that. But uh, it's, uh, it's good that we're, we're moving in the right direction. Um, yeah. Uh, who had fun last week? Yes. All right. Uh, I don't think I've ever, ever uh, spoke a sermon um, where I've had so much uh, feedback. I was expecting a little bit of blowback, but actually, I, I want to say, um, in perhaps the tens of messages that people sent me this week, thanking me so much for, uh, um, uh, yeah. Yeah, thanking me so much for, uh, for having a go at that. And um, if, if you were upset or triggered, um, it probably means something was inside of you that isn't quite right. Uh, and I mean that with the greatest respect. If that caused you alarm or, or caused something to react inside of you, uh, I want to encourage you, please book in and see one of our, our folks will be able to help you through that. Um, uh, can you take the bottom end out for that for us? Thanks. Just take a lot of the bottom end right out. It's really, really bottom endy for me. Uh, if you're online, and I know that this talk was shared substantially last week, and uh, it, you know you're doing something right when randomers are stopping you in Tesco's uh, saying, <laughs> here, I listened to, listen to your talk. And you know that uh, Anna, who's not here this morning, um, uh, one of the midwives that she works with said, hey, I listened to your church. You go to Journey Church. And Anna says, yeah, he talked about me in that. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, you know things are, uh, you know things are, are getting stirred. And um, whenever you get, uh, get uh, gifts sent to you that says legendary, you know you must be doing something right. So um, I appreciate that. It, it, is, it is one of these subjects that the truth is most churches are shying away. Uh, I've never been one to shy away from conflict. I think you all know that. Um, but, you know, this is, this is serious, and it's a serious issue for God, it's a serious issue for our world, and if the church isn't ready to hear and deal with what's coming, because can I tell you, what's coming is a lot worse than what's gone before, and I'm not saying that to denigrate society, I'm saying that, that as people, we need to be so well-trained, equipped to be able to deal with these conversations that's coming in to society, and today is no less uh, important. Um, Today, I wanna, the topic I want to talk about is the biblical view of sexuality and gender. The biblical view of sexuality and gender. And parents, you need to make a decision today. If you're keeping your little ones in, uh, uh, I want to say this. Today also comes with a PG. If you're watching online, it also comes with PG. So if, uh, if, you're, um, if you're underage, you need to get your parental consent. Though I doubt that's going to happen because you don't ask for parental consent for anything anymore. Uh, <laughs> But uh, um, please, I, I hope that if you're sharing this, that, that, that this is something that will create discussion and debate and maybe give you some insight. So um, I want to say this, that parents, these conversations need to be started when kids start going to school. Uh, that, that it shouldn't be the school's job, the church's job, or the government's job to educate your kids about things that we've attached so much shame to. Um, uh, it isn't... Uh, it, it isn't their job to help them figure this stuff out. It's your job. And for too many years, we've attached so much shame to this, and you need to be starting to have those conversations uh, really soon. Um, I, I want you to be aware as well that as I cover this topic, the purpose of this, I, I want to be really clear, isn't to lament the condition of our society. It's not to denigrate people. It's not to juxtaposition ourselves against anyone who might agree with the view that we have as, as biblical Christians, our view of sexuality and gender, but rather it's my desire to offer hope, to offer clarity in the midst of a very confusing season uh, that's in our culture and in our country. Specifically, I want to offer hope and clarity to those specifically who are, who are in the transgender community. Can I tell you, even though you think 
it's not going on. It is deeply affecting members of our church's uh, congregation. Um, it, it's affecting our children. It's affecting the schooling. And you only need to have a conversation with a teacher who I am married to one to know that this is a live, active uh, set of circumstances. And I want to say this to anybody who's struggling with this. I want you to know that you're welcome here. I want you to know that you're loved, that there's a place for you to belong here. And I don't care what you're struggling with or whether there's gender issues going on or ideal issues going on or whatever's going on in your life. Uh, I want you to know that you're very, very welcome to stay within our church. Uh, the truth is a lot of people out there today are struggling with their own sexuality the roles that are played within their lives, the process, how they're feeling, what's going on internally. It's a massive subject today. And I want to encourage you as parents and teachers, uh, teachers to ensure that the process, that the, this whole subject with children and have a conversation because what's going on, teachers are having to teach this subject in school. It's not an option anymore. Uh, teachers are having to, to share information that, that is going against their own uh, fabric and structure. And today, from the outset, I want to thank a couple of people and give them credit for today. Uh, I, I have spent the best part of six months studying up for this particular sermon. I want to give credit to a man called Pastor John Lindell, who, who is Force River Church in America. Um, he's tackled a lot of this head on and has a massive um, understanding around this. Um, I, I want to I uh, tell you about a book as well. Uh, Dr. Preston Sprinkle wrote this book called Embodied. Uh, and I really want to encourage you, if this is a struggle online, if you're online there, um, this book is a really fantastic book that will help parents and teachers or children struggling with identity and uh, gender issues. Um, it is a fantastically written book. It's not condemnationary. It's just really helpful, really insight. A lot of stories, a lot of really good insight, and uh, you'll hear some of that. Uh, um, it, it'll, it, it also deals with gender dysphoria. And um, um, for, if you're in a transgender community, I, I encourage you to read this book. You know, I think sometimes it's, uh, it's this idea that we can't have a conversation. I want to stir conversation and I want us to have the debate because the truth is this, you're having conversations out in the world and the world's coming out of it and if the church don't know how to address it or how to deal with it and give the right version or a version at least that we know what we believe around that, that we can't be afraid anymore. So I want to encourage you, that book's a really good one. Uh, it's called Embodied by, put up there, Preston Sprinkle, okay? Um, uh, the other book um, that, that is really helpful that I want to encourage you, if you're a parent here, there's a book called The Talk by Luke Gilkerson, The Talk. Um, it's uh, seven lessons on how to introduce your child to biblical sexuality. Um, now, um, you need to be upfront, parents, with this. You can't be in the back end of this discussion anymore. The time to start this discussion isn't when they become teenagers. It's time to start it when they go to school. Uh, now, um, you know, the discussion about um, uh, children, I think, needs to start at about six or seven. Now, let me say this. You don't need to tell them everything that you know, okay? But you should start that conversation. This little book, that little book's a really good book for you to start. I encourage you, to, even in church, you need to start that, that, that more. There is an agenda going on right at a very early age, right now, that the kids are, are being taken on a journey, and we're, we're playing catch-up. The idea of these is to help us get caught up um, I want to say in that book, there's pictures, so you might want to peruse it first before you start showing it to your kids, but I, I'd encourage you to do that. Um, when it comes to gender in our present-day culture, uh, we've moved from the presumption of two genders, male and female, to an acceptance and accommodation at the last count of 72 genders combined, 72 recognized in today's culture. It used to be that a person's sex and gender were considered to be synonymous, that they were the same. But over the last 20 years, that has radically changed. Um, uh, one medical news article in, in Medical News Today stated this, gender is different than sex. Although genetic factors typically define a person's sex, gender refers to how they identify inside. Only the person themselves can determine what their gender identity is. That was a medical journal. Now, the question I have is, is, is that true? That's what society is currently saying. That's why some of you, when you go to LinkedIn or some of the Facebook profiles uh, that you read after a business colleague or a person's name, you now have pronouns giving you an insight to what they want to be referred to uh, and their gender identity and how they want to be known by. But what does the Bible say about sexual, sexuality and gender identity? 
Well, for starters, let me answer a couple of questions straight from the bat. Uh, what is it that makes a person inherently biologically male or female? Well, I think there's three criteria. First of all, there's external sexual anatomy. Females have breasts and a vulva. Males have a penis and a scrotum. The second one is this, that they have internal organs. There's reproductive organs inside. Females have ovaries and a uterus, and males have testicles. And the third one is the endocrine system. This produces characteristics by way of hormones. And that females have a higher level of estrogen that uh, uh, contributes to breast development and other features. And males have a higher level of testosterone, which produces facial uh, hair and muscle mass. While that's true and we interpret sexual characteristics, often the cultural construct uh, ha that has been informed um, has, has been something different. Uh, for example, and I'm using this as an example, I'm a typical old-school, stereotypical type of person, and I've been learning lately that I can't, I can't just form that when I have a conversation with young people today. But, but for the sake of what I'm talking about, uh, in my day, girls like dolls, boys like trucks, boys wore blue, girls wore pink. <laughs> now, I want to say this, that's a socially, cultural, enforced expectation. The gender role and identity, I, I'm not saying that it's, that it's true today, but I'm saying that would be an example of a stereotypical, culturally constructed identity. That's been something that, that, that we generally grew up with. That was constructed. But sex itself is not as a result of sexual or cultural constructs. It's a matter of physical biology. It's really important that you understand the difference. Now, as I said, um, it used to be accepted that sex and gender were synonymous, but actually what's happening is it's began to change. If you, were, if you had male anatomy, your gender was male. If you had female anatomy, your gender was female. But in today's secular society, a preferred view of a person's gender identity is based on their own personal sense of self. So, so that, um, so that when you're male and female, that, that you can either be male or female, you can be both or neither. Or in fact, at last count, there were 72 genders, starting with age gender, and androgynous, bi-gender, cisgender, and the list goes on. Which brings me to the whole topic of transgender. Transgender, in many ways, is an, is an aspect that respects or catches all various types of people who are in conflict between their biological sex and their gender identity and their gender role. The primary belief of the transgender community is that sex and gender are two totally different things. And in society today, they have been separated out. And that a person's gender, rather than their biological sex, is the basis by which a person's identity is built. A person may be biologically female, but they can feel that they are a male. Then they should act like a male and even change their biological anatomy to reflect their inner sense of self. And this has been promoted in a culture at a huge pace today. Can I say children's TV programs in the last 15 years has changed dramatically. And we now have a generation that is moving in a massive, massive way away from this. At the last count, there were 70 children's programs featuring 259 characters that are not gender typically. In fact, they have a variety of genders. Shows that features this include Blue's Clues, My Little Pony, Disney, DuckTales, She-Ra, DC, Superhero Girls, Clifford the Big Red Door, uh, Dog, and Star Wars Resistance, or name a few. And to toy makers are getting in on the act as well. Hasbro recently, uh, maybe some of you saw this, changed the name of Mr. Potato Head to Potato Head. And so the list goes on. And what's happening is the media and popular culture are now promoting what I'm going to call a transgender agenda. Something's going on in the societal uh, makeup right now in the promotion of these programs and what's going on. And the rest of us who are Christian are sitting back going, why? And if we don't get ourselves caught up in some of the thinking around this and educate ourselves, we're going to get left behind and we'll be known what a lot of the church is known as as dinosaurs of today. Many parts of our country, Teachers are encouraged to take kids on a gender exploratory gender without parental consent. The political 
set up is facilitating such laws that the one that was passed in Scotland last year, listen to this, that allows a four-year-old to identify as the opposite sex and alter their name without parental consent. We're not educated people. The state of Oregon last month allowed 14-year-olds to can medically transition without parental consent. Canada just passed a law a few weeks back for this very same thing. The age is yet to be defined to go through their parliament. So it's a real question is this, what does the Bible have to say about sex, sexuality, and gender identity? Well, if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn to Genesis 1, we'll be reading from verse 26. This is what God said. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like ourselves. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and the livestock, all wild animals on earth, and small animals that scurry along the ground. Verse 27, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In this passage, God tells us that there are two genders, male and female. It further tells us that human beings are made in the image of God, that Adam and Eve were created perfectly in the image of God. And the aspects of the image of God are reflected in the female gender and in the male gender, and that in the coming together, we reflect God. That there's something in the male and female and the gender that happens in the garden that reflect the characteristics of God. Jesus furthermore affirmed this in understanding in Matthew chapter 19 when he said, when he said this, uh, haven't you read the scriptures? Uh, and this is what it said, that God made them both male and fe- female. All of which tells us that our sexuality and gender aren't actually based on how we feel. And it is important that you understand that our feelings and our, our biological and physiological self actually for me cannot be separated. God has intentionally designed our bodies and our identity that might demonstrate who He is, His will for us, and the goodness and the glory of the Lord are reflected from within us. But what the enemy wants to do, he wants to confuse, destroy human beings' identity. Can I tell you, at no other point in history has there been such a a demonic agenda to destroy people's identity. It is, it is wholesale in our community, and it's wholesale in that. And here's the truth. The church feels powerless to do anything about it. I want to give you information that helps you feel a little bit more powerful today. So that when you understand what's going on, that you can understand God's purposes for his creation, God's purposes for mankind, and God's purpose for both male and female. It's important that we know that. Genesis chapter 128 says that God bless them and go forth and multiply and be fruitful. Fill the earth and govern it. And what he's telling about is this additional in creating human beings that there was a purpose for in creating human beings that were created to do something with a purpose for what God asked us to do. It's not the whole purpose, but it is a purpose to do one. First of all, fill the earth. That's reproduction. And then government, that's rulership. And it is important that that's the purpose that God created humans in the first place. Let me just say this, um, at times it needs to be reiterated. In a day when children are viewed either as an inconvenience or viewed as an option, that God's design, male and female, were that you create it for the sake of reproduction. Can I say that again? When you get married, the idea is that we reproduce. One of the best things you can do is is give God a baby. One of the best things that you can give society is a child who's raised knowing God. One of, one of the things that, that you need to understand as well is, and I understand this, that not everybody is in either in a position to have children or you've been trying and you can't. Can I say you can still be involved? You, you can still be the greatest auntie and uncle that there ever was. My daughter Erin is a favorite with most kids, as is my son. You can be involved in all sorts of ways. And when it comes to some of this stuff, particularly when it comes to transgender identity, it, the, the Lord has something to say about it. And it is important that you understand that, that our job as a church is to help the folks in here raise their kids. I've had lots of conversations with young married couples who are having children today, some of which I've been entirely shocked about, about, about where they're getting their advice from. I've been shocked that you know that Instagram has given, given young, a young generation more information about raising kids than most other things these days. It's, I've, I've spent the last three months taking a look at this. Can I tell you, it's actually scary what some of the things I'm reading can I tell you that the Bible is your first protocol? And that actually when you go to Scripture and read it in the context that it was written, it is actually the best parental help book that you could get. 
Um, and the problem with that is when we start quoting some of the Scripture, everybody goes, ah, well, that's old, that's old school. We don't do it that way. And as I said last, last, a couple of weeks ago, you know, my generation was all about the horsepower and the cars and getting more, more horsepower in that engine and the noise and the revs and all the rest of it. This generation ago, and that's too noisy, we're building electric cars. There's a, there's a society shift going on right now that's happening in and in the underbelly of our, of our city, and we don't understand it. And, and God comes along, and He wants to speak into it. And it's important that how we speak into it becomes really important. And there are many kinds of ways that you can be involved in helping that. Uh, one of the things that, when it comes to this, um, the Bible makes something clear as well about men dressing like women. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, this is what it says, a woman must not put on men's clothing, and men must not wear women's clothing. Anyone who does this is testable in the sight of the Lord. Now I know what you're all sitting out there thinking, oh, wait a minute, John, styles have changed. That's Deuteronomy. That's the old stuff. And you're, you're, you'd be right. It'd be true. But the principle itself is timeless. If cross-dressing presents itself to the opposite sex, the Bible uses the word detestable in the eyes of God. Now, that's a really interesting word in a today when actually we don't ever want to use the word anything's detestable to God. Because we live in a church culture and we live in a culture that only wants to talk about the fluffy God, the nice loving God. But actually, we have a God who, who cannot be changed who does not change, who set things in motion. And actually, when his creation starts to implode, God has always stepped in in history and done something about it. And he wants to do that today. Um, can I say, if you're struggling with that, 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 uh, that um, uh, Leviticus or Deuteronomy chapter, then actually Paul in the New Covenant also backs it up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, he said this, don't you realize that those who are doing wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols, commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or thieves, greedy people, drunkards, or abusive, or cheating people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, you need to study. The word here for male prostitutes is the word um, malakos in the Greek, and it's to do with men who dress like women for the purposes of male prostitution. And the purpose of men dressing like a woman is a list is that the purpose is for prostitution. It became attractive. And same-sex activity goes against what God originally created and designed for male and female. Also, it's really important that you understand that our sexuality is so deeply related to our identity. I want to say that again. Our sexuality is so deeply related to our identity. And when people abuse sex or turn from God's design for human sexuality, what happens is that we end up slipping into sinful acts, and it strikes a blow to the human identity. Paul continued to say in verse 18 in the same chapter of 1 Corinthians 6 that sexual sins are different from all other sin. In sexual sin, this is what he said, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God given and God-modeled love for becoming one with one another. Didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, that you're the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? We belong to God, and the way we steward our bodies and the way that we understand sexuality has everything to do with our identity as well as fulfilling God's purpose in us. Now, some will say, well, the New Testament, Paul isn't speaking. There's another quote here in Galatians 3 where, where, where Paul actually cancels out the need for male and female. And they quote a passage from Genesis 3 where it said this, for are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who are therefore united with Christ and baptized have put on the characteristics of Christ like putting on new clothes. They are no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female for you alone are one in Christ. Now, it's important this passage isn't even contemplating or suggesting biologically or anatomical things uh, that matter. It's not saying that the Jewish race doesn't exist any longer. It's not saying that, that in the day that there's no more slavery, that back then there was slavery. Um, what it's saying is that there's a difference in the life that we come together in Christ, that with one in Him, we become one with Him. It's this oneness that He's hoping to do. And when male and female join together, there's something that God wants to complete. When, when the Gentiles and the Jews came together, we, we have the kingdom of God. There's something in those two coming together that God had 
created from the beginning of time. It doesn't erase the difference in simple meaning that it's related, that there is no difference between those folks. In February of 2020, Wall Street Journal um, op-ed piece uh, entitled A Dangerous Denial of Sex from Penn State Evolutionary Biologist uh, called out the right of U the University of Manchester, uh, a lady who's developing um, biological, um, uh, really at a head of her game, a girl called Emma Hilton wrote this. In human, as in most animals or plants or organisms, biological sex corresponds to one of two distinct types of reproductive anatomy. In humans, reproductive anatomy is unambiguously male or female at birth more than 99.98% of the time. No third type of sex cell exists in humans, and therefore there is no sex spectrum or additional sexes of beyond male and female. Sex is binary. It is male or female. So what does the Bible have to say about sexual and gender identity? In fact, people who struggle between their internal sense of self and their biological sex, which determines who they are, the Bible says that biological sex and science says that it's biological sex, which leads us to the question, what do we do when a person's struggling with gender dysphoria? Whenever you've got a kid today that's coming in going, I don't know who I am internally, that gender becomes an issue. What does a person do who's struggling with feelings of internal self-identity problems that, 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 that are so closely linked to the opposite sex? Well, the answer to that question, I think, is several things that we need to consider. First of all, is there internal struggle because of societal stereotypes? Let me say that again. Is there internal struggle because of societal stereotypes? In other words, um, are they female and again are male? And trying to be flippant with the statement that I'm saying here, by the way, that for years the kind of stereotypical to, you know, for me, females like dolls and guys like trucks, um, and maybe, maybe girls had, sh you know, boys had short hair, girls had long hair. Um, maybe girls didn't like contact sports, guys did. They like gymnastics instead. And there's a whole lot of um, uh, things that are stereotypical. I'm not talking about that for a moment. And it's simple to, to, to have this struggle. What happens when someone doesn't want to do those things? What happens when you have a kid, a girl who wants to be an MMA, an MMA fighter? What happens when you have a boy who doesn't want to have contract, contact sport because the boys are too aggressive? And what we have to do is we have to help children try to figure life out, figure their identity out, and that's part of growing up. Can I say that if your kids are struggling with that, don't make a big deal about it. Too, too many parents go into hyper-explosion mode uh, and it means that what happens is this, they're not necessarily uh, having a problem with gender dysphoria, though a lot of parents think that's what's going on. They're just growing up in a world where they have to find their way. Whose job is it to help them find their way? It's your job. Have the conversation, but don't get too excited or too involved too early. In those cases, it's very helpful for parents, honestly, just relax and affirm them as a person. I don't think it's uh, relegated only to small children. It happens in adolescents too. And you can see that boys, uh, they're called maybe derogatory names in the playground who identify themselves as, as, as gay. Um, what happens is this, there's a whole uh, bullying thing takes place. Uh, and for instance, that can create a preteen or in teen years, a struggle with identity that has nothing to do with gender dysphoria. It's actually to do with bullying. And it's not something that will necessarily um, need to explore the other gender, gender or, or their potential identity. Um, uh, are you with me in that? Are you with me in what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to say that we often react in the wrong way in helping kids through, through this today. And, and, and many people are struggling with identity, not necessarily because of what they feel on their self. They're struggling just because the home concept and love is broken down way before they've got to here. And what we're doing is we're being reactive to something that we don't know enough about. I want to encourage you to educate yourself. I want to encourage you to study. Um, get things that help you study Scripture. Get books like this that you can come along Scripture and go, what does God have to say about it? If you want to know anything, grab a book on a subject and be broad. Understand it wide. 
Um, so it leads to this. Well, well, what is the true number of those that are genuinely struggling with chan, uh, transgender and identity issues? Well, according to studies within the UK, it's not 0.5% of the population. Now, I'm giving you that number not to suggest that it's not a big deal. If you're part of that not 0.5%, it really is a big deal. And, and uh, in fact, it's very real to you, and it's something that matters to you. I have parents in our own church speaking to me regularly at the moment with struggles that their kids are currently having. And let me be clear that to this point, it's like if you're struggling with dysphoria, cross-dressing, uh, struggling with the opposite sex that you feel uh, of this, and that someone's suggestion, hormone replacement or surgery, can I really encourage you to walk that journey with, with your kids? Uh, don't ignore it. Don't put your head in the ground. Have those honest conversations. Can I tell you, if you're sitting out there thinking, this doesn't really affect me, John. Uh, this, isn't, this isn't something that I've ever, ever came across. Can I tell you something? If you haven't, you're going to very soon. Because it is coming in society right now in the breakdown of the mix-up where we're going. I'll talk about that in a second. And I want to be clear that if you're struggling with that, please don't hide it. I really genuinely believe we've got some people in our congregation who can really help you walk this journey. Um, we've got friends across the water in Reading who can help you walk this journey. We've got people that we can bring in here who will help you walk this journey. I, I, want, I, want, to, I want you to understand that if that's you, or if you are here and you're part of the transgender community, or you're struggling, or you're struggling internally, I want you to know that, 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 that we do understand. I want you to know that God loves you. I want you to know that as a church, we love you. I want you to know that as pastors, Rachel and I love you. I want you to know that, that you are important to God. I want you to know that you matter to us. And I want you to know that as a church, we want to help you deal with whatever's going on on the inside of you. At the same time, I think it's important that you understand this because society has given you a different message that actually I don't believe is true. And I need you to understand that we can love and accept you as a person without affirming your decisions. I can affirm you and value you as a person and still be committed to the teachings of Scripture. I want you to know that as a church, that's what we believe. The Bible does not condemn transgender people, but it does prohibit transgender activity. And that's no different to anybody. It also uh, talks about heterosexual activity pre-marriage. So, you know, it's easy just to get narrowed down in these things. Uh, we're all sinners, and everyone here is a sinner. And we, we, we need to leave room in the Bible because the Bible doesn't condemn sinners, but it clearly condemns activity that is sinful. So it's the activity that we need to deal with. And there's always room in a place for sinner that, that the Bible says in Romans that no one is righteous, not, not one of us. In fact, Jesus came into the world to heal our brokenness, to take our broken humanity, and to, to help us out of our place of sinfulness. And let me be clear, if you're having gender dysphoria, it is not a moral issue. Gender dysphoria is a psychological condition that causes a person to think and feel like they are the opposite sex. It doesn't mean that you're a different sex. And here's what you need to understand as moral agents in God's creation. Our decisions have moral ramifications. Jesus offers a wholeness that will bring unity between our biological sex and our inner self of self. Let me say that again. Jesus offers wholeness that will bring unity between our biological sex and our inner, self, uh, inner sense of self. And the wholeness doesn't come by changing our, uh, our physiology. Wholeness comes by changing our psychology, our mind, and our heart. And it's true that every single one of us is in a sin situation as human beings we encounter. Jesus gives us the power to deal with our hearts, our minds, that we might be whole. I thoroughly believe that. Let me just say that in transitioning as a move, if you transition, and I've seen this, if someone transitions in their sexual identity, they actually move further away from who they're meant to be. How do I know that? This book is full of stories of, of people who have walked this journey. Will Heller had struggled with gender confusion from the age of four. At the age of 42, he underwent gender reassignment surgery. For eight years, he lived as a trans female named Laura Jensen. During that time, he was still unhappy and attempted suicide. 
He has since gone back to his original gender and has given himself to studying the subject of gender transition. He's contributed a lot in this book. And these are statistics that he's com compiled with research done uh, with several universities. This is what he's found. He's found that 20% of those who undergo gender reassignment regret the surgery. 41% who go through it attempt suicide. 50% remain depressive symptoms. And 95% have significant psychopathology, which means that they have either been abused, had major traumas, or had other factors that were having an effect on their psychological issues that have yet to be resolved. And you say, well, if my child is struggling with gender, that's a big question. Well, do I let them choose their gender? Do I let them go through their own gender choice? Do I take them to a clinic and maybe give them puberty blockers? The issue for Generation Z, that's the current crop of young people that are coming through, you need to understand this is massive. This is a conversation that's happening in the schools on a daily basis right now. That, that it's currently happening in what's called Gen, uh, Gen Z. Um, that this is, the, this is the statistics that's currently polling. A recent poll found that 5.6% of adults in the UK identify as LGBT, up from 45 in 2017. The same poll, 16% of people identified themselves as LB, LB, LGBTQIA. In other words, Gen Z is increasingly becoming sexual uh, um, sexually amorphous, which means that their sexual identity in a generation right now that almost one in five kids do not identify themselves of what we would call a stereotypical uh, uh, gender. Miley Saras put it this way, I don't relate to a boy or a girl, and I don't have to have a partner that it relates to being a boy or a girl. Furthermore, while gender dysphoria is a real condition and it affects a small percentage of the population, when it comes to Gen Z, something else is happening. Brown University professor published a study that has since been suppressed by the LGBT community. In this study, he found this, and I quote, rapid onset gender dysphoria. Let me say it again. Rapid onset gender dysphoria among teens and young adults may be a social contagion linked with the fact that friends who identify as LGBT identity, that politics, peer culture, are an increased internet use. Preston Sprinkle in this book tells of a story of a girl called Stephanie um, who illustrates exactly what I'm talking about. Stephanie grew up in a stereotypical female uh, girl, uh, but she was on the autism spectrum. Uh, at 13 years old, she told her mom that she wanted to be transgender. Stephanie uh, declared what seemed to come out of nowhere, just out of the blue, this is what she wanted to do. Uh, they had no prior history of gender dysphoria, of tomboyish, tomboyish interests, or, or any other behavior that would have led her to think anything other than she was a female. Her mother did, however, find that Stephanie just heard a presentation in school about, about transgender. In the school where over 5% of the student population identified as either transgender or non-binary, her mother, Carol, took Stephanie to a gender clinic to seek counsel. Here's what Carol said the clinician in the UK told her, that she was to refer to her daughter with masculine pronouns, colored by a masculine name by her, and by her a binder to flatten her breasts. He recommended no therapy, that there was no consideration of a social factors that obviously affected her thinking. I was directed to put her on puberty blocking drugs. She then, uh, that what she said was she was falsely reassured that the drugs that were well studied had, had no side effects and that uh, quote unquote gender uh, was told that they did not have to comply or she would end up risking suicide. Carl took Stephanie to a clinic where the doctor recommended that the social interference that was now affecting the, 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 the actual atomical sense of self uh, to go this particular way. Another story, Helena was 14 when she felt she was, att was attracted to both boys and girls and began to explore what it might mean to go through online community called Tumblr. 
Uh, and as she began to learn the various gender identities, um, uh, she read a story of people's identities about who were from the transgender community. Eventually, she started to relate to the stories and began to identify herself. Helen learned on Tumblr that taking testosterone was the next step she had to do from the trans people who had already gone there. That's a cross-hormone therapy, CHT. She found that getting testosterone was easy. All she had to do was spend one hour with a counselor or a doctor and tell her about a dysphoria. Looking back on it, they had rehearsed their answers, that in the online communities, that, that the trans community helped other people with popular notions, social uh, identity, and they rehearsed their answers so that the doctors would prescribe this. Helena was in HRT for two years, sorry, HRC for two years. It wasn't long before problems began to popping up. Let her speak, this is her quote. Um, it is a common thing for women on testosterone to experience a lot of anger. These things were a weird phenomenon for me. I used to get upset and I wanted to cry, but I couldn't. Eventually, these kinds of problems started getting more apparent. I began to feel miserable. I was getting angry all the time. I didn't know where it was coming from or where to put it. Everything made me angry. I felt like I was being put through the ringer with these emotions. I, it really messed with my mental health. Helen also learned that the high doses of testosterone in females often cause their ovaries and their uterus to begin to stop working after five years. Helena was miserable emotionally, physically, and mentally. At a point in her life, she'd remembered that thinking this wasn't working. Ultimately, she decided to detransition back to female uh, with the media promotion and all the things that trans was created. Significantly, she jumped because of what she was going through and what she read especially among young females, that's going on today. The Tavistock Centre in London, which is the main gender clinic in the UK, treated 17 females for gender dysphoria in 2009. In 2019, they treated 1,740 females. That's a 5,000% increase in 10 years. Research on rabbit onset gender dysphoria among teens reveals the following. 63% had one or more diagnoses of psychiatric disorder, neurological development disorder, including traumatic events in their life, cutting, ADHD, OCD, eating disorders, and bipolar. 63% who had come forward for that had pre-trauma, though many more were sexually abused than, than the survey said, found out later on. Many of those with rabbit onset gender dysphoria had trans friends who reported feeling popular when they came out that by becoming, uh, changing gender, suddenly your popularity increased. 72% said that when they took to a gender therapist or physician, they were never encouraged to explore their mental health issues. They only treated the gender condition. Again, quoting Emma Hilton and another professor, Colin Wright, the large majority of gender dysphoria accused eventually outgrew their feelings of dys dysphoria during puberty, affirming therapies that insist that a child's cross-sexual identity should never be questioned. The puberty-blocking drugs advertised as way of the children to buy time to sort out their identities, only solidify feelings of dysphoria, setting them on a pathway that more invasive medical interventions are required at a later date, leading to permanent infertility. The, patholog the pathological inset of sexual typical behavior is extremely worrying and regressive. These are two professors who are not Christian. Prescribing drugs and stopping puberty in the way of helping a 12-year-old who is struggling with identity and advice of transition leads to suicide, I think is irresponsible, psychologically damaging, educationally and unethically and emotionally damaging. So what should we do as parents as I finish up? Let me give you three summaries. First of all, number one, we need to be informed. You need to know what your child's looking at online. Listen, as parents, <laughs> you do not have to have an obligation to respect your child's internet privacy. You need to look at their history, and if they're deleting their history, you need to stop letting them use the internet. You need to know what programs they're looking at. You need to check up on them. You need to know what they're doing online and who they're talking to in social media and what they're involved in, who they're engaging with, who they're texting, and who they're interacting with. 
who their friends are and who their friends are like. You need to be informed and you need to help them make wise, careful choice. Firmly guiding your children in the selection of their friends. That means there's some friends that your children should not be hanging out with. I tell you as parents, and I mean this, I, we didn't live in some bubble either. There was times we had to tell our kids, those friends are not going to be your friends anymore. But why, Daddy? I don't care. I'm just telling you. You see, we're much wiser than kids. And the problem today is we've abdicated our responsibility as parents off to the internet and other people. And it's time that God says we take it back again. You see, as a family, I tell our kids, we're going in a different direction. As for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. And we're heading on a path that follows Jesus. And the world is heading on a path that is getting so lost inside its own identity, it doesn't even know where it's going. It's the blind leading the blind. And we need to be wise, and we need to know what's going on in our children's lives. The second thing, number two, we need to be involved. You need to start interacting in what happened in your children's life. And you need to do that really early. You should know where they're at all of the time. You should know who they're with all of the time. You should know what they're doing, what they're thinking, and help them in that process of life, because that does take time. It takes investment, which means blocking out some time in your day to specifically spend time with your, ch with your kids. That may, may, might mean shutting off the TV, shutting off the phone. It might mean you stop binging uh, Netflix with them, and actually you begin to play games with your kids. One of the things that our kids love doing is playing games. The older they get, the more aware they become. And can I tell you that their most talkative time might not be breakfast anymore. You might find, and I've discovered this, that teenagers want to talk at half 11 at night. <laughs> Can I tell you, get out of a bed, get dressed, and go and talk to them. The problem was that the point about the family, well, you want to go to sleep, but actually, in that moment, they want to talk. I, I don't mean, you know, we need to be involved in this. If your kid is struggling with some of these things, uh, we've got to give them wisdom. Because can I tell you, as much as kids today think they're wise, can I say this to you kids? You're really not. We know a lot more and have a lot more life experience than you. Uh, I don't mean to be unkind. I'm just trying to share some wisdom with you. So people who have identified somehow, you, let me say this. People think love equals relationship. That's actually not true. I know a lot of people who love their kids dearly, but have zero relationship with their kids. Here's the formula. Love plus time equals relationships. You prove your love by the time that you give them, and the more time you give them, I promise you, the more influence you'll have. And finally, three, Joshua, do you guys want to come back up? Be informed, be involved. Can I say this? Be in charge. Now, I'm not talking about being a dictator, all right? You know, I'm in charge. Can I tell you? I ain't going to work. That's, that, that won't go far. But you are in charge. And when it comes to your child's identity and your child's identity decision, you're mature and they're not. It's ab absolutely ridiculous to think that a child as a preteen or as a teenager has the capable decision to make gender choice. That doesn't make sense to me. I've discovered that I'm, I know I wasn't fully developed uh, until well past 25. My wife was much more developed weigh at about 20, and that is true between women and men. Can I say that I used to think at 16 I knew what I was doing. At 18, I even knew more. I made so many stupid mistakes back then. I treated people poorly. I didn't know who I was. Young people, can I say this? Listen to your parents. You might feel they're controlling you and that they don't understand. And you know what? You're probably right. They have no clue about what's going on in your world right now. But kids, do your best to explain to your kids what's going on. And parents, you need to listen. And kids, listen to your parents' wisdom. God has given you them as a protection for you to watch over you, to guide you. Mums and dads, you should be the first person to talk to your children about sex and gender. Those talks need to happen as soon as they go to school. And as I said earlier, you don't need to tell them all. You're in charge, not your child. Listen, I hear parents all the time say this. This is an important one today. I just want to be my child's friend. You're their parent. 
They need you to be your parent more than they need a friend. Parents, you're in charge, not the school, not the school counselor, not the gender clinic, you're in charge. And until we take back some of this, that our own moral constructs are, are, are being dictated by, that this struggle in identity is really what the problem is. When identity begins to fall apart internally, when we lose a sense of who we are, when we lose a sense of what we're called to be, when we lose the true identity, the blueprint of God inside of our lives, we will end up down a road every single time that will lead to mental health problems and, 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 and deep internal sickness. I am fed up of a world trying to deal with mental health problems when the issue is broken love problems. And you go to a doctor today, they will tell you this stuff, they will give you antidepressants, but they will not treat the real problem. The real problem is the broken love that you feel inside of you. And God's calling us back as a people to become agents to help people out of that place without condemnation, without beating them up, without feeling them bad, but to bring them into a sense of identity where you know who you are in God, where you're not lost to the world anymore, where you're not lost inside of you, that you've no idea where you're going. That somewhere along the way, when you've lost your identity, lost your direction, lost your hope, lost your peace, lost your joy, your mental health is depleted, that actually you come back to forgiveness. Last week, I apologized on behalf of men that hurt women. Can I say something to you? If you were triggered by that, and many of you were, I received your messages, it tells me something. It tells me something massive. It tells me that you've unforgiveness in your heart. And you ain't going to get breakthrough no matter. I'm not saying that what they did was right. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is this, that the only way out of your pain is to forgive. And you want freedom. And you want help. And you want help with your mental health. You start asking yourself the question, why do I feel the way that I do? Let's stand. can do with these subjects in 40 minutes. <laughs> if, if anything today affected you, if this is something that you're struggling with, I'm going to invite our ministry team up here to the front. Please don't. You know, <laughs> there's something that I can't go to the front to get prayer about this. Can I say you need to knock that straight away? This is our first Sunday where we can literally get everybody back to the front and lay hands on them, legally speaking. But if this has affected you or this is an area of your own life, I don't care what it is. I would love you just to come and get prayer. As our team stand here and pray, we'd love to just pray for you. Stand with you. You don't need to tell them anything. You just let us pray. God, whatever's going on, I want to pray. If you're a parent that, that is struggling with this, we want to pray for you too. If you're a teacher, we want to pray for you. If you're someone that, that, that is struggling internally, we want to pray for you. And I want to say right from this that God loves you. We love you. We champion you. We want to help you. We want to help you deal with the identity that God's given you. Holy Spirit, we just pray this morning you come in all grace, all power, all love. Give us hope of a peace, Lord. Let us know our true identity and who you've called us to be for your purpose, for your world, for your creation. Help us to know who we are in Jesus' name. Amen.